Shalom Aleichem, Shalom to all of you listeners of this great station, a station that beams only the Torah, the Musar, the Vret Orerut, the and religious music. This is Rabbi Albaz from SLC. I'm going to speak today about the parasha we read yesterday, Parashat Kitetse. First, let me mention the following. At the end, towards the end of the parasha of last week, Parashat Shofetim, there are three passages that talk about war. Three different passages. This is Parashat Shoftim. One pa- and then the, then the beginning of the parasha we read yesterday, also the first passage talks about war. So we have three passages that talk about war. We have a passage at the beginning of the parasha we read yesterday that talks about war. And smack in between is a passage that has nothing to do with war. In fact, it usually happens at times of peace. Now let me explain. In Parashat Shoftim, which we read last week, there are three passages. One of them talks about this special Kohen Mashua, a special Kohen that comes to the, talks to the soldiers, and he gives them like a, a prep. It gives him his uh, encourages them, tells them, "Don't worry. Even if you see, I'm Rabbi Even if you see multitude of people, don't worry. If Hashem is with you, that's the main thing. We know, for example, David the Melech went to wars where the enemy could have been five or ten times as many, but yet he won the battles. And then he goes on." The Kohen Mashua, and then they talk about uh, exemptions of four types of people, and it tells them to go back home. Then another passage that follows has to do with if the Bnei Israel are going to fight a war with a country, the first thing they have to do is Vekarat Elea Le Shalom. First, See what you can do to make to make peace. Before you just invade and attack, try try to make uh, to make peace with the with the country. Yes. And then there's another passage that says, "When you're at war, don't cut down any fruit-bearing trees. No good. No reason for that. The trees are not the enemy." That's those three passages. Then the passage we read, the first passage we read yesterday has to do with the Ifatu'ar, the woman that is desired by a soldier. Now, why is the Torah speaking about that? Very simple. We know what happened in the past. We know that when the Goyim were invading another country and the, 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 how they abused women. This is something that is uh, recorded in history. We know about it. In fact, it happened even uh, you know, Saddam Hussein in Mahshimon when he invaded uh, Kuwait. That's, they were abusing women all the time. And when the reporters went, 
asked them, how come, look what they're doing. He didn't want to answer them. That is the rewards of victory. Even nowadays, look what ISIS and Mahshimama they're doing. Read about all these things. So the Torah is saying, we are not like them. We are Amsegula. We are Amkadosh. We are special people. We're not going to behave like animals. There's going to be some regulations here. The Torah recognizes the great Yetzirah that happens when a soldier is fighting and sees a woman with part of the enemy and he desires her. So the Torah is saying, you know what? You can't just do like the Goyim are doing. There is a procedure that you have to follow. Follow that procedure. After that procedure, you convert her and you take her as a wife. As a wife. Which means she's not a slave. And if he's not, if he doesn't desire her any longer, he has to let her go free. He cannot sell her or or use her as a slave or sell her as a slave or anything like that. We'll, Either his wife or let her go. These are regulations. But we see here that, that the the end, towards the end of the parashah of the, the not this Shabbat, but the Shabbat before talks about war. This is talking about war. And smack in the middle, we talk about a passage of Egla Arufa. What's Egla Arufa? This passage has to do with. If a uh, some a person was found killed somewhere in uh, in a field someplace, we don't know who the murderer is. So we might think, yeah, well, look, uh, we don't know who the murderer is. We hardly recognize this man altogether. So it's a met mitzvah, fine. So bury him, finito. No, doesn't work that way. The Torah makes a big deal about it. We have to get. Be the uh, Hachamim from the Sanhedrin, they're going to come. They're going to measure from the spot where the corpse is to the nearest town. And then they're going to take it to the town. And then the elders of the town, they're going to take a, a Egla. Yeah? And they're going to kill the Egla. And they're going to say, Kapen, and Hashem, you have to forgive us. We didn't do these things. And nothing to do with us, and so on and so forth. And people are watching all this. There's a big uh, tumult that's going on. What's the, what's the idea behind this? It's very simple. The Torah is trying to tell us that the life of a human being is precious. Don't think just because you are at war that you can just Engage into murder and killing. No. Here I'm going to show you at peace how precious is a life of human being. And because it's so precious, even during the war, there are certain rules and regulations that must be followed. Of course, if the enemy is coming at you that you're allowed to kill him, there's no question about that. But what about those who are not our enemies? What about the elderly, the children? What about the women who are in their homes with their kids? 
the Torah is telling us life is very precious. It's unfortunate that war is is a fact of life. We can't help it. Um, I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu, during the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was a war with Amalek. There's a war with Sihon and Og. There's a war with Midian. Comes Yeshua. He fought 31 kings. Shoftim is full of, 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 uh, of wars. Melachim, it's a fact of life. But it has to be regulated. Do you know how many wars are going on today in the world, in today's world? Well, look it up in the internet, you'll see. Besides the uh, major wars that we know about, you know, like the war in Afghanistan, the war in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, there are about 40 uh, different conflicts that are going on in the world today. That's how bad it is. Well, because... War is dehumanizing. You know what that means? Dehumanizing, it takes the human essence away from the person. When a person sees so much killing, so much murder, so much destruction, it instills some kind of achzariyut in the person. So Hashem is saying, look at the Eglah Rufa, look at that man. It may be a nobody, but life is very precious. And we have to try to save life at any time. Hey, what do you think? We have a Hatzalah. Hatzalah works on Shabbat. Why? To save a life. You have to save a life. If there's a life over there, it has to be saved. They work. They come with their radios, whatever. On Shabbat, they go to the synagogue with their radios on, and then it's beeping, whatever. There was a story about Rav Soloveitchik, Alava Shalom, maybe over 100 years ago. And at that time, the Tsar in Russia, there were many, many people that tried to do some kind of rebellions against them. And there was a, a gang of people, uh, some Goyim, and one of them was a Jew, and they took the effigy uh, of, of the Tsar and, and they burned it. Publicly. Of course, they were arrested. And at that time, burning the effigy of a czar, that is, uh, you know, death. Punishment is death. So he was sentenced, sentenced to death. However, there was a way out for that Jew. If somehow they would come up with a huge bribe, they'll let him go. A huge bribe. Absolvechik heard of it, and he made a meeting quickly with the board and says to them, we have to uh, somehow collect that kind of money in order to save this, uh, this, this teenager. So they couldn't understand, so they were asking, oh, does anybody know who this man, who this young man is? And, no, we don't know him. Is he a member of our synagogue? No, he's not a member. Is he religious? No, he's not religious. So what's going on? Why? He told them 
unless you have this kind of money right away, he's not going to come with the synagogue on Yom Kippur. This was just before Yom Kippur. He wouldn't. He would not be in the synagogue. But in those days, the rabbi doesn't come in. It means you know, the prayers stop. That's the way it was. Well, respect of the rabbi. So they thought he was bluffing, so they just let it go. But then comes the night called Nidre. The rabbi is not there. No, they wait. He's not coming. So they come. They go over to his house. He said to them, listen, unless you make an appeal right now, collect that kind of money, he's not going. And they did. Made the appeal, collected the money, and saved that kid. Now, why? Because a Jewish neshama is a Jewish neshama. A Jew is a Jew. And his neshama is, is holy. It's kadosh. See, if you, uh, if you look into Masichet Sanhedrin, you will see that uh, executions in Bedin were very, very rare. Very rare. How come? Because of the conditions that are put on, 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 on the, the Bedin itself before you can pronounce someone, hey, he's sentenced to death. You have to have what they call hatra'a ve'edim. You have to have warning and you have to have witnesses that saw the thing right there and then. So, they say, well, so what's, uh, what's so hard about that? Oh, I'll tell you what's so hard about that. This warning we're talking about has to be at the time. Let's say some Shalom wants to cook on Shabbat publicly. He was a cook on Shabbat. And the Edim come over to him the day before, and they said they warned him, you cannot cook on Shabbat. And he cooks on Shabbat, nothing. He can't be sentenced to death. It has to be Bishat Ma'asi at the time. The man is about to cook on Shabbat, and they tell him, no, you can't do it. If you do it, you know, you're going to be sentenced to death. We have Edim over here. Now tell me, which Mishuga? when he's confronted with them right there and then, he's going to say, I don't care what you're saying. I don't care if they kill me. And I'm, I'm going to be Mahal Shabbat anyway. That's not going to happen. So it was very, very rare that this thing would happen. Now you say, well, what about? Hey, we just learned about Ben Sorero More, the rebellious kid. Notarah says, you take him and uh, you stone him to death. Wait a minute. Relax. Let's look at what's happening about the Ben Sorero Mare. The Gimara says the Ben Sorero never happened. It will never happen in the future either. Never happened. Because of the conditions that are put on him. This kid has to be only between 13 years old and 13 and 3 months. So he only had a window of 3 months that he could possibly be considered Ben Sorero More. If it's before that or after that, it doesn't matter what he does. It's considered just like a regular like a regular person. He has to steal money from his father and buy a certain amount, this and that, but if he doesn't steal money and buys it and eats the same amount of, of meat and drink, he's not Ben Sorero More. The parents, both of them, have to be together 
one voice, uh, same size, same looks, whatever. A certain amount of conditions that are in there that pretty much impossible to happen. So now you have a good question. If that's impossible to happen, why is the Torah telling us about Visarumani? It doesn't happen anywhere. Why is the Torah telling us this? But you have to know one thing. Whatever the Torah puts down, there's got to be something to learn from it. It has to be something to learn. So what are we learning from those four pisukim of a Ben Sorirumari? Oh, there are many lessons, but I'm going to discuss one of them. One of them says, Derosh Vekabil Sechem. Learn it, expound on it, and you get a reward for it. Well, okay, well, now you, wait a minute. Rosh I, I mean, you know how many Masechot we have? I mean, there's enough of the Torah without those four Pesukim. A, a person can learn a lifetime and still not finish with it. So what's the idea? Rosh Ah, but this is different. Why? Because this thing never happens. There is no practical uh, 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 value to it. I mean, you learn Masechet Berachot. Why? Because I want to know how to Berachot. I want to know what, uh, what to make Bari Perahasan, what to make Bari Peradamon, Sheakol, whatever. So you learn Berachot. You learn Masechet Shabbat. I want to know what's allowed on Shabbat, what's allowed on Shabbat. Here, there is nothing to learn. It's not for practical learning. There's nothing to it. And even though there's no practical uh, mitzvah to do from this Pesukim and whatever uh, uh, expound, expounding on it, you still are mekabel sachar. You still mekabel sachar. You learn, you get the reward for the learning. And this is the Hidush. If you learn without any practicality, you still get something. But there is more than that. Even though there is no practical uh, application to it, there is still something else which only the Torah has. From all the other disciplines, from all the other sciences or social sciences, there's one thing the Torah has that not the others have. I'll give you an example. This example that you probably uh, have heard some of it because on the night of Pesach, we sit down, we read the Haggadah, and it says over there, Amar Rabbi El Azar bin Azariah, Hare Ani Keben Shivim Shana. He says, I'm like 70 years old. He was not 70, he was 18. What happened? Asher made him look like 70 by growing a lot of beard, big beard. What happened? Well, at that time, Rabban Gamliel was always uh, somehow criticizing Rabbi Yeshua, but it got to the point it was just too much. So they wanted to depose him. Uh, to make the story short, depose him. Who, who, gonna, who do we put in instead? They decided that Abil Azab and Azariah, who was a big Tamit Hacham and was from Yehus Gadol, big Yehus, the dynasty of Hachamim, he should be the one that I see. But he was young. So Hashem said, okay, he deserves it. So he gave him the beard. 
Fine. What happened? Before Abil Azar bin Azar became the Nasi, Rabban Gamliel had a policy. Whoever is not really serious, you know, his inside is not like the outside, eh, somewhat of a, a little faker or something. He's not very serious about learning. He didn't want him in the Bet Midrash. Now, Bil Azab Ben Azab reversed that policy. He said, Whoever wants to learn, yalla, come in. And the Gemara says that because of this policy, they had to add 400 benches, and some say 700 benches. We're talking about a huge amount of additional students. So the Sarban Gamliel felt bad. He felt bad. Why should he feel bad? He's the one that instituted a policy. I mean, he knew that if you allow uh, anybody to come, there's going to be more people. What was the problem? The problem was different. He saw that even those people that were not serious, once they came in and they started learning, they became serious. The hashpa'a of the Torah somehow makes a people, makes a person more serious about learning of the Torah. It's a hashpa'a. Whether the Torah is, you use it for practical something or not practical, but the fact that you are learning in itself, just the fact that you're learning the Torah, that gives a certain influence on the person. And you start becoming more and more religious. You know that uh, the little story about the, the girl who wanted to shiduch. She was religious. So they gave her a, a young man. Nice young man, nice family, wealthy family. But uh, he was not religious. So she went out with him. So he asked her, what do you mind to do? So well, you know, you have to, you know, you have to be Shomer Shabbat, Shomer Kashrut. You have to put on tefillin every single day. You have to do this, all this mitzvot and so on, Moadim. So I'm sorry, I can't do it. Huh? Few months later, they suggested another young man, also a nice young man, good family, good yehus, wealthy man, and they went out. They liked each other. So he says, you know, what should I do? So she was, she got smarter. You know, say, she said, you know what? All you have to do is learn a couple of hours Torah. That's it. I have a teacher, a, a, a rabbi here. Go, go a couple of hours, go learn Torah. That's it. He said, oh, that's it. is that all? That's all. But as soon as he started learning Torah, some I made some hashpa on the person. He said, oh, yeah, oh, wow. The Torah says you have to be Shabbat. There's a 39 milachot. The Torah says, Yivayiru tutafot ben enechad tefillin. Oh, what is that? Explain this to me. Oh, see, this is this. So the hashpa of the Torah, all of a sudden, he realized he should be putting on tefillin, it should be Shomer Shabbat, it should be this, this, and that. And within a year, this man became religious. 
that's the koah of the hashpa of the Torah. Rabotai, now we are Hodesh Elul. This is the time that even if you say, look, I'm busy like this, I'm busy, I have to do business, I forget, it's sure you have business, you have to make panas, everybody knows you have to make panas, no question about it. But you always have to be koveyal, a team la Torah. That is extremely important. You must somehow set aside a certain time where you're going to be studying Torah. And there's no lack of places nowadays where you can learn Torah. Whether it is in physical places like synagogues and yeshivot, whatever, you can go on the internet and learn. There's tons and tons of shiurim. There is no more excuses nowadays, Rabotai. No more excuses. Can't see it's raining. It's cold outside. I can't go. I can't go to this this place. Turn on your computer. Go to, you know, either OU or Data Gemara or whatever. You have all kinds of Torah. You don't need. What you need is the willpower. The willpower. And to fight the Yisrael that is the Yisra'ara, the Mihamad that you have to do almost every day. Fight your Yisra'ara. Develop some kind of willpower to study the Torah. Abe'ezat Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help us and will be Nikatev Nihatev L'chayim Tovim Shalom. Amen Kinyasom. And I want to remind you again there's a beautiful station here. Try it. To help as much as you can, very, very important. We keep this uh, this uh, operation going. Also, if you have any any simha, you contact us at SLC. Have a beautiful uh, uh, social hall that you can use for any simha that you wish. We'll be very happy to accommodate you. Shavuot tov to all of you.